All right, and welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again by Carl Grice. How's things, Carl? Good, good. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. What's been going on in, with life with yourself, Carl? Oh, uh, well, I'm recording this today before I get married. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> um, and then just, there's not a lot really. Um, as I said on Dunk, when you did that podcast with Duncan, I went and saw Progress, met him there, had a chat. Um, just, and then just grown up boring shit, really. Well, I've got nothing as exciting as getting married again, but um, <laughs> I have, in I think, two nights watched all 10 episodes of Glow, so that was good. Yes, I've seen um, I've seen a lot of people on the old social media talking about it. Highly recommend it. Uh, I've got to watch. I've got to finish watching Orange Is the New Black first. I think one of the people uh, don't quote me on this, but I think I read one of the people involved with that. It was involved with Glow. Uh, I don't know whether it's a director, producer, you know, stagehand, whatever. I wouldn't have a clue, but I'm I'm certain I read that somewhere. Gorgeous ladies of wrestling. And I went and saw um, All Eyes on Me on the weekend, which has caused a little bit of controversy as well for any of the hip-hop aficionados. Yes, he's not had the best um, feedback. No, it's been slammed. Yeah. I didn't mind it. It just sort of, it just kind of went through everything. There was no real drama to it. But as a, you know, as a biopic, it was okay. It wasn't too bad. I thought most of the actors were on point. I picked straight away that... Snoop Dogg had had his real voice dubbed in because nobody could get that close to his voice. No, no straight out of Compton, then. No, nah, it's not as good as straight out of Compton. But it's got the same guy from um, Notorious to play Biggie, so that was kind of cool. But yeah, like a Marvel universe. Yeah, kind of. I, I didn't hate it, so I guess that's a step up on everyone else that's watched it. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk episode forty-two. And it is Super Brawl 1996 up against In Your House 6, Rage in the Cage. So, were you excited for these two shows? I was excited for the for the WWE show. Um, it was about is it, this was about the time when I started to pick pick, pick it back up. Um, I my love for wrestling and whatnot as I went through a period of not watching it, and this is around where I started to get back into it. So, in my head, I was like, oh yeah, I remember this. It was good, but. Then the crybaby match started. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that happened. It definitely happened. <laughs> There's um, some infamy on both of these shows. I was, um, I have to say, probably I was more excited for Super Brawl when I tweaked as to what night this was. I was like, oh, yes, come on. I've been waiting for this moment. So um, something coming on later on that many of you will, will know and have seen, but maybe not know it was on this night like I didn't. So I was, I was pumped for that. Um, so yeah, I'm two for two for surprise Pillman things, which is, uh, a bonus, which is an added treat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really good stuff. Um, For those of you not in the know as to how it was all going down back then, Super Brawl took place on the 11th of February, obviously 1996, in the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg, Florida, in front of a crowd of 7,200 and drew a buy rate of 0.6 for approximately 190,000 buys. 
In Your House 6, Rage in the Cage, came to us a week later on February 18th in the Louisville Gardens, Louisville, Kentucky, and drew an even smaller crowd of 5,500, but a larger buy rate, 0.76 for approximately 238,000 buys. So WCW got the better of the live gate. The WWF got the better of the pay-per-view money coming into WrestleMania. So pretty neck and neck there, though, really. The Hulk effect has definitely taken over, but the NWO sort of stratosphere hasn't come on the horizon just yet no so that's the lay of the land which show did you watch first Carl? Uh, I watched WCW first uh, As, I always tend to do the longer show first oh well I've got WCW notes in front of me as well should we head over to Super Brawl and see what's going on indeed let's do it let's get to, to it Tonight, in the cage, the WCW World Heavyweight title is on the line as Ric Flair challenges the champion, Macho Man Randy Savage. Anything goes, there must be a winner. Hulk Hogan steps into the cage against the Giant. The World Tag Team title is on the line as champion Sting and Lex Luger take on Harlem Heat with the Road Warriors meeting the winner. Johnny B. Bad puts up the TV title and the doll against Diamond Dallas Page at over $6 million. The former champion, One Man Gang, challenges Conan for the U.S. heavyweight title. It's a street fight in Pity City. The Nasty Boys face Public Enemy. And in a respect match with a leather strap, the Taskmaster meets Flyin' Brian. And now... Live from the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg, Florida, it's Super Brawl 6. So, Super Brawl opens up with a bit of a cheesy opening video package, uh, nothing to write home about, with highlights on the Macho Man Ric Flair and the Hulk Hogan Giant cage matches. Um, As we said earlier, it comes to us from the Bayfront Arena in St. Petersburg, Florida. Quick disclaimer before we start running down the two shows as well, it's probably been about a month since I watched these shows due to our scheduling conflict, so if my notes get stumbled at any point, apologies in advance, I'm trying to remember what I wrote. We're going to see Harlem Heat versus Sting and Lex Luger, with the LOD in, waiting in the wings to take on the winner. DDP versus Marvelous Mark Miro for approximately the 113th time on this podcast. <laughs> Conan against the One Man Gang with quite the clash of styles. The Nasty Boys versus Public Enemy. And a respect match between Kevin Sullivan and Brian Pillman. The commentary team we talk about is Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes. So he says... Opening up right off the bat, we get some good quotes from Dusty. I smell danger in the area. Yes, yes. I've had, I have that note. Uh, every, I think every match has got a brilliant Dustyism or Dustism, I'm going to say it. Yeah, he's the anti thesis of Match Striker, who I just pulled my hair out. Dusty just made me chuckle the whole night. Yes. So we open up with a contest neither of us were really looking forward to the public enemy and the nasty boys in a street fight. The public enemy, as I put on my notes, are. <laughs> I just couldn't figure out, are they babyface or heel, the public enemy? Because they're dancing all the way down to the aisle, but everything they do is heel. Yeah, when they're coming out and um, Johnny Grunge is there shouting like, where the big boys play, and then Rocket Rock's like, we don't play. Like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. Like, well done. <laughs> what are you doing here, mate? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you catch the Dusty Roads early as well there? They're moving shoes on furniture and moving situation. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I had to write it down. 
Oh, they immediately begin brawling on the outside as well. So we get exactly what we expected. Rocco's got a table pretty much straight away. Sags has got a chair and he just unloads on him. Then onto Grunge. Then Grunge gets a chair and unloads back on him. And we get an awful double clothesline onto the entrance onto the concrete. Nobs moves as Rocco goes through a table coming off the ropes. He attempts a pin on the floor, but Grunge makes a save. Uh, Grunge is being beaten down with a can lid, but never sells because he doesn't want to fall on the concrete, so he just stumbles around being hit in the head repeatedly. And then Bobby Heenan straight away makes me smile when he asks Tony if he can have an interpreter for Dusty's commentary. <laughs> Sags lifts uh, Grunge and jumps back onto a trash can with a pile driver in a really sick spot. Gets sold for about four seconds, unfortunately. It's not the career ender yeah. it looks like. Um, Nob suplexes Rocco through a table. Then we get more chairs, more trash can lids, and a bit more brawling around. They get up near the curtain at the entrance. Nobody's selling. Chairs, tables, cans, rinse and repeat. Rocco ends up jumping off a rail through the table to the concrete. Nob's moving out the way to avoid the impact and pins him for the one, two, three on the floor. So this was a bit of a garbage brawl. What did you think about it? If, if it was, if it wasn't for the commentary and the, the Germans all the way through it, this it was 1996 WCW's best. No selling, just people going through tables and getting straight up. It was. How do you, how do you follow this for the rest of the night if you've been hit with like 14 chair shots and you're still the winning team? Like, how does anyone follow anything with any impact? You just don't. It's just. It's, it's, like, oh, it's all the crowd like cheering for like the, the chair shots and whatnot. Then it's like, and you look at it in, in your modern day, and it's this, the difference is incredible. But the, the 1996 fans loved it. Yeah, apparently so. I don't know. I didn't see what all the fuss was about myself, but it was what it was. Um, if you like seeing people get hit with metal objects in the head and not fall over, then this will be the match for you. Now, from there, we go backstage to meeting Gene Oakland, who is shilling his hotline, as per usual, with this doozy. Two former WWF champions coming to WCW. Call up to find out who. I bet he didn't tell you. Um, he's unfortunate. <laughs> Before he can get any further, which he couldn't tell us on the air anyway, he's interrupted by Conan, who is, appears to be wearing gold tinfoil. Yeah, his, his, his get-up is um, pretty, pretty horrible. In the last show, it was horrible. It doesn't get any better. No, he needs to go West Coast gangster rap before he can get any sort of style. Oh, yeah. And he does a promo about his match with the one-man gang later on, but at no stage does he look up and look at the camera. He's looking down the entire time. He has to be reading off a teleprompter. Yes. So, pretty poor promo. I won't bother splicing it in because you'll probably just turn the podcast off, so we'll move right along from there. From here, we get DDP up against Johnny B. Bad. As I mentioned, we've seen this once or twice before. And we're told this sort of storyline that's been un un unloading, evolving, whatever it may be with DDP and Kimberly, is because DDP won $6.6 million at Bingo. Now, my nana went to Bingo every day for about the last 25 years of her life, and I don't think she got $6.6 million combined, so DDP must have had a hell of a fucking Saturday morning. <laughs> But um, it is what it is. This match is for the money. Um, D we start off with DDP trying to give roses to Kimberly, who, of course, is accompanying out Johnny B. Bad, but she's having none well, of it. The entrance is incredible, Kimberly. The flips, the splits, it was amazing. It was, yeah. a, it, it was, it was a highlight for me. It was, um, it was like um, Rey Mysterio and Melina morphed into one person, wasn't it? Yes. It was very busy. It was a very busy entrance. Yeah, but, it was quite Kimberly, good. Kimberly, bless her. Absolutely. 
Johnny B. Bab makes the save as DDP's sexually harassing Kimberly on the outside of the ring. And this begins the match with an outside brawl, the same way we began the last one, but hopefully it won't continue on the entire match. Uh, Johnny B. Bad comes off the ropes with an axe handle on the floor, then back in the ring, hits a slingshot leg drop over the ropes for a two count before they begin some standard chain wrestling to really get the match going. Johnny B. Bad hits a rolling arm drag and a backslide for a two count, and then a small package for a two count before DDB fires back with a hot shot. He hits a gut buster. Johnny B. Bad attempts a sunset flip uh, three different times, doesn't get the pin on any of them, uh, gets a two on the last one, which is the closest he gets, before DDP comes back on offense and starts a beatdown. He hits a really nice jumping DDT here before showboating a little bit. What did you think about that? It's all, it's all, it's all in keeping with the, um, with the 10 gimmick and the cards and whatnot. So it's a lot, well, not a lot of matches, but most of the matches like DDP asking for a 10 and all this and, and whatnot. It's a bit like Ty, Ty Dillinger back 20 years. Ty who? Where is he? <laughs> yeah, he's... If anyone's seen Ty Dillinger, his family are looking for him. <laughs> Um, from there, we get DDP arguing with Kimberly, allowing Johnny B. Bad to roll him up, but it only gets a two count. Um, DDP rolls through a headlock and gets a two count. Johnny B. Bad comes off the top rope with an axe handle before hitting that stupid top rope diving sunset flip for a two count, which is possibly the dumbest move in wrestling in 1996 because it makes zero sense. You are hurting yourself. If Ric Flair being thrown off the top rope hurts him, then you doing a sunset flip hurts you. Yep. We get a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count and then another roll-up for a two-count before DDP hits the dirty pin for a two-count, a pancake for a two-count, and he locks in a Cobra clutch. Johnny B. Bad fires back with a jawbreaker before locking in a sleeper before finishing him off with a tombstone pile driver for the one, two, three. So, not a bad match, but pretty standard fare for these two. Did you like this one, Carl? Hey, yeah, it had its moments. It was all... Um, it told a nice story. I just don't, I don't understand if you... If, Anybody had that kind of money, money while you carry on wrestling, wrestling. you just sit at home and spend the money. Correct. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, every time you start watching these matches, you're always thinking that DDP is the one that's going to go over it. And then it does. So the, the, the thing keeps sucking in his favor, like, oh, like now you've got a title and you get to win this money. Like, well, he's got to do it. Then no, he loses again. So. <laughs> yeah, Johnny B. Bad, they're building him up for that big wild man push in New York. <laughs> yeah. Um, from there, we go to Mean Gene interviewing Harlem Heat. Um, the highlight of this promo, of course, was Booker T pulling out a sissified sucker. All right, Tony Schiavone, Dusty Rosa, thank you very much, gentlemen. Recently in Las Vegas, Nevada, as you saw during a live national telecast, it was Booker T, Stevie Ray, the Harlem Heat coming up on the short end of the deal in their match with Lex Luger and Sting. However, tonight, gentlemen, the rematch is going to take place. And as they say, it's for all the marbles, the WCW Tag Team title. You know, Gene, there comes a time in a man's life when he has to put his foot down about things that's going on. And I know you and every sucker out there that's listening to me know what I mean. Lex Luger, like I said before, sucker, you committed grand larceny. And tonight, we gonna get you. And if birds of a feather flock together, sting, that means you just like him. And the hit list is out for you too. When the night is over, when the smoke clears, Harlem Heat will still be the best team in WCW because we will own the gold, sucker. Booker T. All I got to say 
is these two sissified suckers, a couple of punks, straight glitter boys, college punks, they don't know what they got into. They took us down, down in Vegas by about the dollars, brother. Let me tell you, silver dollar style, straight OG style, we got gang. They got, they pull on us what we were supposed to be pulling on them, but tonight, Sting, Lex Luger, especially you, sucker, Watch your back and watch your back hard because me and my brother, we refuse to leave tonight without our world tag team belt. If you understand what I'm saying, man. Wait a minute, gentlemen. Let me clarify one thing. If you should win this match against Luger and Sting, it's kind of out of the frying pan into the fire because then you'd have to face the road warrior. You know, like I always say, the answer was a good call. This ain't 1976. This 1996 in the Hall of Heat is taking the tag team picture straight into to the future, if you understand what I'm talking about, sucker! Can hey, you dig for it? tag team action here at Super Bowl, Tony, Bobby, Dust. Let's get back to you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, this ain't 1976, 1976. it's 1996. <laughs> had had their shot on the previous Nitro and blew it, but now they just get to challenge the winner, which makes the whole point of the previous episode of Nitro kind of null and void, but it is what it is. Why? I don't, like... I scrap my brain around. Like, why, why would Harley and LOD not fight, and then they fight Singing and Lex Luger? Singing and Lex Luger, yeah, we'll fight twice. Like, I don't Luger's a, a dickhead, but... Well, surely Luger would be the one begging out of this. There's no way he'd agree to two separate title matches. No, no, you can see why people turn us all the time. He's a moron. <laughs> it makes no sense. But we go to our first tag team title match of the night from here. It's Harlem Heat up against Sting and Lex Luger defending their titles for the first time, possibly the last time, depending on the result, of course. And then we get a kid in Sting Sting uh, face paint in the crowd, which Bobby Heenan says, Ugh, ugly looking kid. <laughs> Would you please leave our fans alone? <laughs> Booker T starts off with Sting, um, hits some strikes in the corner before Sting fires back with a clothesline. And commentators tell us that the um, pre-show saw the debut of Loch Ness. I'm terribly upset that they didn't include this in the footage. No. Sting tags in Lex Luger. They exchange some strikes. Stevie Ray comes in, hits a double elbow. Lex doesn't want any of this, so he just tags out and brings Sting back in, who's not happy that Lex is being a little bitch. Sting hits a hip toss and a drop kick um, for a one count. Booker T comes back in, hits a shoulder block, but Sting fires back with a bulldog. Now Lex does want to get back in while Booker's down. Hits a knee lift for a two count, a back suplex for a two count, before Booker T fires back with a side slam. Misses an elbow, but pops up out of missing the elbow with the spinner Rooney, and then hits a big spin kick. Stevie Ray comes in for a pair of slams, a leg drop, and a big clothesline for a two count, before Lex fires back with a clothesline of his own. And then Stevie Ray stops Lex making the tag. We get a powerbomb drop to the side for a two count, which is a bit of a strange double team move there. And then a um, nerve hold, the dreaded nerve hold. Lex Luger's got a face like he's giving birth during this as well. It was brilliant Lex Luger selling. <laughs> Booker T does get back in and hits a cool scissors kick. And then Dusty Rhodes says, Sting's a great athlete. Um, wait, no, he's got me all flubbergasted. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is an athlete? <laughs> oh man, Dusty's brilliant on this. 
Sting's prevented from making the tag again before they all break in for a four-man brawl. Sting busts out his Stinger splash before they, um, they end up on the outside. The referee ends up with Booker T and Sting, and Stevie Ray gets Lex up for a powerbomb, but LOD come out and hit Stevie Ray with a lead pipe, allowing Sting and Lex Luger to pick up the 1-2-3 in a very heel move on both sides. Um, in the in the aisleway, Gene then looks for an interview, while Harlem Heat just stand and wait in the ring like two fucking idiots because they've just had their title shot robbed of them, but they stand there and allow a promo to take place before they leave. So nonsensical all round, but some good action in here. What did you think? I mean, it was it was pretty terrible to be honest. We had um, it made I think it made um, the Nazis and the public enemies might look slightly better. Oh, you so thought? Was, yeah, just the end. It was terrible. Stevie Ray is probably one of the worst wrestlers I've ever seen. <laughs> just a big lumbering fall, and like you look at Booker at that point, you're like, oh my god, like how how he did the best thing he ever did was get away from him. Um, <laughs> And then, like, there's a little bit slight in the match as well. Um, there's a bit in it really early on where Tony goes, um, Sting is a great fighting champion. Speaking of fighting champions, former champion Hulk Hogan, like, oh, God, here we go. Oh. <laughs> the Hulk Hogan-ness. Oh, man. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, we're a little bit further apart on this one. I thought it was all right, and you thought it was terrible. So there you go. That's got to be a first. <laughs> I don't know. It's just—it was all very—it was all very clunky and whatnot. And uh... well, let's hope the second match is going to end up better. Yes. But before we get there, we go to the one that I was probably least looking forward to: the one-man gang defending. Uh, sorry, yes, the one-man gang challenging for the United States title from Conan. The one-man gang attacks early here, and Conan comes back with a drop kick to the knee for a two count. A really awful looking spin kick and then a second rope missile drop kick. He then hits a cross body and they go through the ropes, which was a little bit of a weird spot, but something different. Hits a cannonball from the apron before one man gang comes back in control and berates Conan while choking him. He hits a side slam. Dusty Rhodes says, keeping Conad at keeping Conad out. So you can't even get Conan's name right now. And then he says, fist him in the head. <laughs> And we get a long beatdown spot by the gang. Conan comes back with some rapid fists and then botches a top a runner off the top rope before hitting a drop kick, a couple of drop kicks, and then misses a third despite the one man gang not moving from the spot where the first two took place. Um, pretty awful sequence there. <laughs> and then we get a uh, <laughs> just threw me. <laughs> we then get a seven forty seven, but from the one man gang, he's big splash, but he lifts Conan off the ground despite having him pinned with the United States title on the line, making himself look like a fucking idiot. He goes off the ropes now, but misses a second 747, you know, in that kind of way where he jumps to his feet, then falls down as though it was a top rope splash, but it wasn't. Conan Conan flips off the top rope and hits him for the three count in a really, really bad match. This was just horrible stuff for me. It felt like it was seven minutes long and it felt like 30 minutes. The one my guy was knackered and like... Within seconds. Couldn't even be asked. At one point, couldn't be asked to roll in the ring. You have to take the steps. <laughs> obviously, rolling in was too much, was too much effort. It was... It was... Uh, well, it wasn't good at all. Because this, even the, the commentators drift off talking about that. At one point, Dusty's talking fancy booking a one-man gang title run. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this, is, this is possibly one of the worst matches I've seen on the podcast. So, 
I would say this has definitely got a rank on the Hammerlock scale, and I'm going to give it a pretty solid 8 out of 10 for me. I just thought this was shite. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a botch fest. It's a clash of styles, and it's not got the best commentary going all at the same time. Like, there's not really much going right for this. No, it's just never been on again. And while we're talking about the the um the awards being given for this one, I actually am going to give out my dick move of the week here as well. Dusty Rhodes, I he makes me laugh. I enjoy his commentary and the nonsense of it all, but. If you're being paid to commentate, the least you can do is learn the fucking names of the wrestlers on the show. Like, he called him Conad through the whole thing. Like, you don't know his name. You should not be taking a wage to commentate on his matches. So, really they just... Even, they didn't even spell Conan's name on the thing on the way out. It's probably with one hand. Just read that it was Conan with one hand. In the middle, obviously, and the end. The end. Uh, just awful, awful stuff. The highlight of this match is that you're doing music. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. We then go backstage with Gene Oakland again in a really strange, like, I know a lot of people have, you know, fond memories have put that cigarette out and some of his little quirkiness in the WWF, but this one takes the cake for me. He's telling us that the backstage area stinks because there is a broken toilet. What the actual fuck? (laughs) This brings in the LOD, who do the typical LOD shouty promo, and then they basically tell us that they did what they did because they want Sting and Lex in the next match, not Harlem Heat, so... It was what it was. What did you think about Gene's wisecracking and the LOD promo? Standard LOD fair. I've heard, I've heard better. I think just, Gene just like he just goes into business for himself at the end of the day, says whatever he wants. Uh, like Hawks, um, you've got a lot of problems, and both of them are the road warriors. Wow, lots of lots of both. Brilliant. Cheers, Hawks. I I had years ago that I used to use at work. You ever see one of them little things? They were f- popular for a while in the early 2000s. It was Mr. T in your pocket, and you could press it and yeah. it'd give you a Mr. T phrase. I'd love one of them hawks. I'd just Anytime anyone pisses me off, just press it. Well, <laughs> that would just be amazing. <laughs> I just don't follow it up. Just make them wait. <laughs> what a rush. <laughs> yeah, that actually, that'd be... Um, I know we're talking wedding bells and nuptials earlier. That'd be a brilliant bedroom enhancement for afterwards. What a rush. <laughs> that, that's a quick way to annulment. <laughs> uh, I'd, do, I'd do that if I ever got the kids out of our room. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, moving swiftly along. <laughs> We go to um, Kevin Sullivan and Brian Pillman next for the respect match. And this is where, on my notes, I just put, Oh, shit, I know what this is. I'm so excited. (laughs) Brian Pillman runs out and rolls around and whips while Kevin Sullivan just basically holds on for dear life. Kevin Sullivan then begins punching Brian Pillman in what can only be described as real punches. Um, It grabs a mic off the ref, Pillman that is, jumps outside and just basically says, I respect you, Booker Man, and that's it. It was just perfect. Like you all know, the moment we'll splice it in here, obviously, but it was just awesome to see this play out live. Solar plexus, and they're not even thinking about a leather strap right now. Jimmy Jet has a wireless microphone. And yeah, I don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. You, Booker Man. Oh, he said, "I respect you." Thank you. And he walked. And he walked out. And he walked. He said, I respect you, and he walked out. Wow. So Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, will win it. 
But I mean, for about 45 seconds, we had the darndest fight we'd ever seen. From there, though, it's not... Obviously, you know, people have paid for this, so there has to be a match. And I guess... I don't really know how they're... Like, it's hard to say they're trying to put over the story that Pillman's going into business for himself because it's like they're trying to put over the story that he's not in on the story. And it's like, you know, inception levels of booking here. But um, Pillman goes out. Jimmy Hart then comes out with Arn Anderson and the referee announces that we're going to have a new match, which was a bit weird, the referee doing it. Um, and it's going to be Arn up against Kevin Sullivan now. So Arn was obviously an integral part of this storyline and the build-up trying to get Pillman to show a bit of respect. Arn goes all over Kevin Sullivan. They seem to sort of brawl for a quick second and then stop in the corner to have a bit of a chat about what the fuck they're going to do because they've not planned the match. <laughs> Kevin Sullivan hits him with an eye poke to buy them some more time and they just whip each other with the belts a lot here. They brawl on the outside before they both say no to the referee asking if they're going to you know, give the respect. I guess the same gimmicks in or the same sort of stipulations in effect here. Ric Flair then comes out, cuts a promo, brings them both together. It was just absolutely bonkers saying they shouldn't be fighting. They should be you know, in together. It was um, one of the strangest pieces of wrestling you'll ever see. What did you think? It was... There's a lot of things, like, questions about this. It's like, obviously, there's a lot... Everyone says, like, oh, Bischoff and Pillman were behind it. And the rest of them say Sullivan didn't know. Some say Sullivan didn't know. It was... For what it was, at the moment in wrestling history, it's a must-see. The Tony, well, for 45 seconds, we had the darndest fight you'd ever see. It was a couple of uh, slaps with a strap and then a, a, um, a single, and Sullivan going for a single leg. So he's worth watching this match for Ireland and golf clothes, which are uh, <laughs> incredible. But this is, before going to Ireland, like, just for, just for having a, just trying, do you know what I mean? He came out, he tried to do what he could, and obviously scrambling in the back and then obviously Rick Flair coming out like none of it's planned they all try and Rick Flair shooting a promo on anything moving in the arena it's um yeah it was, it was a mess but it was a good mess yeah it was brilliant definitely go and watch this we go straight backstage now to Gene or oh, sorry in the, like kind of like in the aisle way Gene with Jimmy Hart who's just been here there and everywhere trying to cut a promo with the giant it's a bad promo so I won't uh, sort of dwell on it for too long it was pretty awful fair the giant wasn't really a good promo in the early days was he no he um he can't wait what you went from rhyming to then just shouting and it was no bless him <laughs> he should just look big and scary and let someone else talk for him from there we go to our second tag team title match of the evening it's going to be the legion of doom up against the probably tired and a bit sore Sting and Lex Luger defending their titles for the second time. Lex walks out a lot slower for this match than he did the first one, doing some really great character work and selling. Like, he's exhausted and he's not up for a second match on the night, so fair play to Lex. Yeah, I wouldn't be too keen. True. Lex walks out and Sting goes for a... um, Goes for a little bit of a chat with the LOD in the ring, but the crowd straight away are under LOD, so they're just they're loving it. Big LOD chance from the crowd here. I would say they were, since they returned back to WCW, they have been one of the most overacts on the show. We get a lot of stalling to begin the match, though. They don't really want to engage too too early before Hawk and Sting finally start the match off. Hawk hits a shoulder block and a drop kick. They brawl on the outside for a little bit, and then Hawk 
um, on Sting botches a neckbreaker, and Dusty immediately tries to cover for him. So he does actually talk about the fatigue level in the second match. And I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I did write here that he, he did very well to cover for him. So a good piece of commentary from Dusty Rhodes. Hawk locks on an STF before Sting gets to the ropes. Animal comes in and gets all over the arm, and then Sting tags in Lex, who doesn't want to get in. Gets a couple of cheap shots before Animal hits him with a boot and a power slam for a two count. Hawk comes in and hits a couple of clotheslines in the corner and then tosses Lex out and Animal throws him onto the guardrail before Sting comes around to help. Back on the inside, Lex hits an eye poke to Hawk, clothesline for a two count and tags back in Sting who comes in and hits a suplex before he and Animal have a clash of heads. Lex wants in while Animal is down to beat on him a little bit more, hits an inverted atomic drop. Sting comes back in with a bulldog and a top, uh, a top rope splash but Animal gets the knees up to block it. Hawk and Lex get in, and Hawk hits a shoulder block followed by a leg drop for a two count and a fist drop by uh, for a two count before locking in a chin lock and a sleeper and then a reverse jawbreaker. Animal and Sting come in. Animal eats the Stinger splash and the Scorpion deathlock before Hawk clotheslines him off of the move. Sting then gets an awful roll up for a one count. Um, all four come in. Animal no sells a suplex, so then so does Sting. LOD hit the double team. All four in the match again, then a double count out with all four of them brawling around the outside for a bit of a poor finish. The two tag title matches, no clean finishes. No. This just reeked if they didn't want the LOD to do the job, but they didn't want Sting and Lex to do the job. So why didn't they just not book the LOD to have a title match? Because of wrestling. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you want the LOD to be the number one contenders, I mean, they could have, they could have done anything with them. They could have put them against Harlem Heat and not had Sting and Lex wrestle. They could have made the brawl at the start a three-way. The LOD are perfectly good at hitting people with shit. They could have done loads of stuff other than have Sting and Lex unable to beat Harlem Heat cleanly because of the story, and then neither of these two teams wants to put the other over, seemingly. It's just a complete waste of time. It's a... it's as much as well, it's like, see, obviously, well, with whatever happened in the strap match, it's like, I think these were basically told, like, you need to add some more minutes to your match. There's a lot of, like, dragged out, like, stalling, and obviously a bit more time, and you could see, it showed in the match, it was a good match, but that is, then the ending was very convoluted, and we've still got some classic Lex Luger screams, so you can't put <laughs> on that one. I think you might be right about the um, the timing thing there because it definitely did stall a lot in the early days and um, the match lacked a little bit of fluidity as well. So you might be I hit the nail on the head there. You for, if, you, if you knew if you were going to have a match with a double count, you wouldn't have it go for 15 minutes, would you? So, no, definitely not. From there, we go back to Gene Oakland again, who's with Ric Flair and Woman, who cut a good promo. Gene checks out her ass on the way out of the shot, which is my biggest <laughs> note here. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a lecherous old man, Gene Oakland. When, when, when I'm part of the role is a woman born over here, Yeah, fair enough. Could get worse work, I suppose. We, we get an advert for the next pay-per-view, which is uncensored, and they completely rip off the Monday Night Raw um, promo material from the early days. You know, the old uncooked, uncut, uncensored. Like, they do their own little version of that, which is pretty bad. From there, we come back, and it's Gene once again with another interview, interviewing Liz. Um, Savage comes in before she can get a word in edgewise, which is typical of Randy Savage, and then rips up toy, rips off Toy Story now, saying to infinity and beyond. So I guess he and Buzz Lightyear have been going to the same promo class. And then Bobby, uh, sorry, Bobby Heenan tells us that the cage has a top, which is a bit strange, and we get Michael Buffer to introduce the matchup, the title match, and straight away here I realise, hang on a minute, 
this is not the main event. The World Heavyweight title is not the fucking main event. <laughs> what are they no. doing? Oh, is it any reason why so many people of our generation hate Hulk Hogan? It's just, it's classic Hogan. It's just, I understand, like, they want to say time, let's put the cage up and then do both of them together, but then it's just, you put them the other way around. Especially, like, with how the pay-per-view ended, because it didn't really, it didn't warrant Hulk going last. It made no difference which way around it was done. No, absolutely not. This is just simply Hulk's ego. And this, this just, you know, Macho Man and Ric Flair. I mean, and actually, you know what? It's just dawned on me now, actually. I didn't even think about this when I was writing my notes. It's WrestleMania 8 all over again. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same title match. And Hulk Hogan, just with the big lumbering fool of the day, outranking them for the mate. Fuck off, Hulk. <laughs> oh, it's made me more angry now than it did watching it. <laughs> So, obviously, we're, as you can tell, up to Macho Man Randy Savage defending the World Heavyweight title up against Ric Flair. Um, so, this was a match I was at least excited for. Ric Flair begins the match by grabbing a Hulk Hogan bandana off a kid at ringside and stomping on it. Oh, sorry, in his entrance, not before the match. That was pretty funny. And then Macho Man comes out and takes a Slim Jim from a kid in the crowd and has a bite of it. So, a really weird couple of entrances there. Much, uh, Ric Flair gets on the mic before the match starts and offers Liz the chance to kick Ric Flair, uh, kick Ric Flair, to kiss Ric Flair. And, and Nature Boy will take as much time as he has to to get this thing right, this setting Elizabeth, right for him. Before I gotta hurt him real bad, send him home in a basket, baby. I'm gonna give you one last chance. Walk over here and kiss a real man, baby. He's talking to Elizabeth. Yeah. Well, that's more important things at hand here. He needs to get in that ring and get it on. But the Macho Man gets pissed off and attacks him, and we get an early 10-punch spot. Macho Man going for a pin, um, but the ref is too busy trying to lock the door and doesn't realize that there's a match going on behind him, so we don't get a count. Ric Flair then takes control with a knee drop, throws Macho into the cage, and nails the referee out of nowhere. What the fuck? <laughs> Macho Man comes back with a backslide, which is... Not really going to work, except for the fact that it does, because the ref immediately pops up to count, no-selling the blow from Ric Flair a moment earlier. <sighs> it's a bit of a strange, strange start here. Macho Man comes back with a backdrop and a clothesline for a two-count, before Ric Flair begins sending Macho Man into the cage, gets a two-count off it, um, begins punching him, but gets caught up top. Macho Man locks a figure four under Ric Flair in a strange turn of events before Ric Flair gets the ropes and the referee kicks him off the ropes as retaliation for decking him earlier in the match. Macho Man hits a slam, then an axe handle off the top of the cage, um, but it doesn't connect as Ric Flair punches him in the gut on the way down. Ric Flair hits a lovely delayed vertical suplex for a two count, um, pins him quite a few times before locking in the figure four, but Macho Man turns that into a small package for a two count, Macho Man sends Flair into the cage. Flair comes back with an inverted atomic drop, and then Flair flops in the ring. He tries to escape, and as he does, Macho Man gets a hold of his tights, and we all get a good look at Ric Flair's ass. Girls went wild for that one, hey? Yeah, at least it was 1996 Ric Flair ass, and not fucking 2008 Ric Flair ass. I'd have to have a strong think about what I've seen more, Ric Flair's bare ass or Ric Flair crying. <laughs> or Ric Flair bleeding. bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I tell you what, um the next TNA episode I'm doing with Duncan, fuck me. If you've not seen it, you've got to see Ric Flair's forehead up close when he's 
a week after blading. It is, it's disgusting. I don't, I don't think, like, I don't think, like, when he has an haircut now, mate, he just fucking... But his skin's that thin. He's got like a um, like a snake skin in the shape of his head on the barbershop floor afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then they give him the bill and he cries because he's so emotional. <laughs> I just got, got no money. money. <laughs> <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> you win that one. <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't care. Yeah, he's not. He's not listening. He, plus, uh, if he was listening to us, I imagine he'd be drunk and he'd forget about it before the night ended. Yeah, probably elbow in the jacket as we speak. Oh man, is it sad that through that whole conversation, trying to picture Ric Flair in the barber sh- shop, that it, I could only imagine it was Brutus Beefcake cutting his hair? <laughs> <laughs> we've had our, we've had our whole lives destroyed by wrestling. Oh man. Yeah. Where were we up to? So we've got um, Ric Flair from here. He gets his ass bared and he's crutched on the ropes, allowing Macho Man to get a two count. And then the bell rings, strangely enough. Just this is a clusterfuck here. Ric Flair pops up and hits a low blow. And then Macho Man sends Ric Flair into the cage again. And the door on the cage actually breaks here. (laughs) Just out of the blue. Oh, God. And then we get Woman tries to throw powder in the eyes of the Macho Man, but he ducks. But Liz hands a shoe to Ric Flair. Flair nails Macho Man with the shoe and picks up the one, two, three, and Arn Anderson comes out to celebrate. And then Hulk Hogan comes running out to serve justice and just very creepily stalks the girls around the ringside. So restraining order is definitely in his future. He gets a chair and he chases the heels out of the ring to the backstage area. The absolute hero that he is, saving the day and looking good after Macho's already lost his title. And the crowd think pretty much the same because they start a Hogan sucks chant. It begins... Oh, yeah, the backlash is coming. They go to replays and show what went down and explain the the heel turn of Miss Elizabeth here as Hulk helps Macho Man to the back to a chorus of Hogan sucks chants. Yeah, you think Macho Man is shot in the face? Oh, absolutely. It's just... Hogan's just a dick. (laughs) We then get a Gene Oakland promo with Hulk Hogan who cuts a promo on Liz, on Ric Flair, on the Giant before we go to our main event of the evening, the Giant up against Hulk Hogan. Bruce Buffer's entrance here, um, his introduction was absolutely brilliant. Ladies and gentlemen, the fans, are you ready? St. Petersburg, Florida, are you ready? There's only one thing left to say. For the second time tonight, ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get Could be witnessing history. Yep. The end of Hulkamania. Coming to the cage at this time. Don't bet on it. The man who literally returned from the dead last October. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> literally? Do we know what literally means? <laughs> you missed that as well on the Hogan promo where he said, because he's only got the one eye, he turns around and says, the God will be guarding his blind side. Oh. Fuck you, man. <laughs> God didn't do anything for him when the cameras were rolling. <laughs> if there was a God, Hulk Hogan would have made that porno. <laughs> and had it released. Oh, my God. Oh, just brilliant. 
The match starts with Hogan beating on the Giant to yet more chance of Hogan sucks. And then Tony Schiavone says, the legacy of Andre at stake here. Oh, seriously, guys. Like, you're doing my head in. We get a back rake and some rubs into the cage. Then a 10-punch spot. And it's all Hogan in the early days. Giant's not had any offense. He attempts a slam in the classic Hogan formula. Can't get him up. Hurts his back and falls down with Giant landing on top of him, allowing the heel to get the upper hand. Giant begins pounding away on Hogan, stomping on his hands, putting him in the test of strength hold, and Hulk is down on his knees, puts him in a bear hug, sends Hulk to the cage, and then fights to take Hogan's eye patch off, hits him with a slam, but misses an elbow drop. Um, the slam's reversed, and the commentators get a quick, yes, yes, no, um, and made me think that the Brutus was coming out yet again. We're going to find out right Yes! We oh! sound like three Zodiacs right Boy, there. I'm telling you, yes, couldn't believe it. Three Zodiacs. Yeah. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Shivani actually cracked me up. He says, we sounded like three Zodiacs just then. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Giant uh, whips him to the corner and hits him with a bit of a sidekick to the gut. Um, and it's the third time that he's done that sidekick in the match as well. So it's a, a little bit repetitive there. Throws Hogan to the cage. This is a, a very slow plotting affair with the Giant in control. He hits a vertical suplex. Um, throws him into the cage again. Puts him into a bear hug again. Hits him with the choke slam, and if you've ever seen a Hulk Hogan match, you'd know using your finisher is the worst thing you can do because he immediately pops up. Comes back with some bites, throws the giant into the cage. We get some blood, we get the big boot, and the giant plays a groggy Mortal Kombat character just standing in the spot, sort of whirring around in circles, um, while Hogan starts to ask the crowd what he should do, whether or not he should slam him. He does slam him, he hits the leg, and gets the th- uh, hits. The- three leg drops sorry the giant sits up as hulk goes to climb the cage they fight on the ropes for a little bit hulk knocks him down hogan climbs out and gets a victory kevin sullivan hits him with a chair and he no sells it here lizard woman were enough on the outside to defeat the macho man and take his title but kevin sullivan and jimmy hart on the outside of the ring with the giant can't do anything to affect hulk hogan Um, as you said the dungeon of doom come out it's meng it is barbarian humorous Shark, Zodiac, one-man gang. And if you if you guessed here that they all get the upper hand on Hulk and we go off the air with the heel celebrating, you would be <laughs> <laughs> incorrect. Hulk Hogan fights off eight men. Yeah, like John Wayne, John Wayne Hogan. Oh my God, it is awful. It's just beating them all and they're all just taking turns selling and walking to the back. The shit chair shots as well. They're not right. even good chair shots. No, nah, it's just bullshit. We finally get what I wanted earlier in the night an appearance by Loch Ness, who comes out and all the Dungeon of Doom hold him back because Hulk's unstoppable and there's no point getting into a fight with just 10 of us here to back you up. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? And then this is where, like, I, I'm struggling over my last few lines here because you can see anger kicked in as this pay-per-view came to a close. I've written a second dick move of the week on the same show. And then my Super Brawl notes just end with the words egotistical cunt. <laughs> There once was a guy called Hulk, who was often prone to sulk. He had creative control, was a massive arsehole, and careers he ruined in bulk. Perfect. <laughs> My tribute to the genius there. Dick move of the week. Summed up. <laughs> summed up in rhymes. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd probably, um, if I had to rhyme about Hulk Hogan, it'd come off slightly closer to Nas's ether, but that's just me. <laughs> Apparently, the... I'm reading around though. Uh, Loch Ness was supposed to come all into the cage, but 
he was, was too big. big. <laughs> well, hence, hence why they did what they did. Oh my god! The only way he fought him through the door, he wouldn't fit through the door. He couldn't uh, climb. Yeah. He couldn't climb over the top at a sneaky six hundred pounds. <laughs> oh, what did you think about the match? Uh, to be fair, it wasn't. It was a solid five. It was. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't brilliant at the same time. It's just two cage matches together, and the first one had Flair and Macho, so that one is bound to be infinitely better than this one. Uh, far too long for to. He's only got one eye, which took him ages to actually start attacking his eye, which um, because wrestling. <laughs> but the uh, I just thought the, the fact of like three leg drops doesn't do it, and then he just managed to climb out, climb over at the end, like a couple of chops and he fell down. Like, mm. Typical Hogan fair, isn't it? Yeah. So, what did you think about Super Brawl? Early impressions of the pay-per-view as a whole? Uh, sorry. Text message from my fiancé. <laughs> um, it has... It, when it was bad, it was very, very bad. Uh, and when it was average, it was average. It was... A, I scored it on my thing a, a six, a generous six. It had, like, six... Uh, flare sound, it was good. It had, it had its moments. If you, if you can delete one man going versus Conan out of your mind, then it's a, yeah, a generous six. It wasn't, it wasn't the worst. We, 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 we got exactly solid very well with some more reviews, some of the matches. But <laughs> I think just, I think like the the Pillman and the Savage thing just pumps it up. I mean, it saves, it saves everything really. Because if it wasn't. If it wasn't felt for that, then I don't know. I think I, I think I probably feel six is a little bit generous, and I'm going to put it to you like this: is it's hard to give a pay per view a six when the highlight is a match not happening. True. <laughs> like that was literally the best part about the show: the match that did, was, didn't happen. I guess it's a six a month ago. ago. <laughs> <laughs> you were in a good mood then, like you were, you know, not so close to the big day, not so anxious. <laughs> you were happy. <laughs> Come, Come back three years into married life, and this will be a two point five. <laughs> uh, my friend, he went to Orlando for a holiday, and he went to Hulk Hogan's shop. He's got his own. He's got like his own shop in Orlando, Florida. I think I might have seen a picture or something of that. Is he got like? It's got like all like um, life-size dolls of him and stuff, and motorbikes he's yeah. ridden and all that. Yeah, I'd go there if I knew that was there when I was in Lando. I'd have gone. He brought me back a Hulk Hogan T-shirt. Nice one. It's a good mate. Yeah. Cost five dollars. Oh, even $5. even better. Yeah, but he flew back on the Thursday. Hulk was there in person on the Friday. Got it. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I actually, um, I'll tell you what, I got off eBay, um, this guy makes the, like, makes Titantrons and entrances and stuff, and he's sent me the 98 Raw Attitude one and the current NXT one, so that's going to be quite sweet for my setup when it gets here. <laughs> my fucking garage is being taken over by wrestling figures, I've just, in about four months, just, I've got so many. I know, it's a worry that once I, once I pop, I preferably will not be able to stop. That was me. I just kept on looking at this Undertaker with the purple gloves and the Phantom of the Opera mask every week in Target when my daughter drags me down the toy aisle, and one day I went, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think it might have been the, um, before I got that, it was the um, Undertaker Ninja Turtle 
that my my, yeah. my mum got for me, and I got that, and I was like, oh, now I've got to get the four of them at least. <laughs> and that was it. Then my wife got me the um, Undertaker for Father's Day, and I've not looked back. Well, that's Super Brawl in the bag. So that's our first one down, one to go. Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. The following program contains material too hot for some. Viewer discretion is advised. What emotions beat in the heart of a champion? A sense of power. Euphoria, or perhaps fear, knowing full well that tonight could be the very last night he ever enters the ring as champion. What thoughts race through the mind of a former champion? Rage, defiance, or perhaps frustration that what once defined him as mighty no longer is his. And what anger dwells in the soul of a man who is denied his chance to possess the coveted gold. Revenge, they say, is a dish best served cold. Three men bound by one dynamic passion. Tonight, it'll take a 15-foot-high steel cage to harness their emotions and avert anarchy in your house. Back in the saddle to do In Your House, Six Rage in the Cage. Of course, the big main event being Diesel and Brett the Hitman Hart inside the classic blue steel cage. Another action figure piece that I own currently. (laughs) 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 The the pay-per-view opens up with Sunny on a Beach. Yes. So weather slightly nicer than what you've got over there at the moment, I believe. Yes. It is writing proverbial cats and dogs. We then get a promo video for the pay-per-view, classic 90s WWF, and we get a um, WWF logo comes on the screen, rings a bell, and, and runs back off the screen, which is a little bit weird and a bit cheesy. As I said earlier, we're coming to you from Louisville, Kentucky, and we open up with a five-star classic that you've all heard many, many great things about, Razor the Ramon and the one 2 3 kid in the Crybaby match. The three-year feud comes to an end. It started so hot, it finished so shit. They were the other way around when they first went. Razor was the baddie. Yes. Worked a lot better that way. Yes. And um, Fink runs down the rules in case we couldn't figure this one out for ourselves. The loser has to have a life like an adult-sized nappy put on and drink from a bottle. I don't know if there's anything in the bottle. If it's Razor and the kid, that could be a tasty bit of alcohol in that bottle to go around, but we don't actually find out, so we'll just have to speculate on that. Liquid painkillers. <laughs> One, two, three kid comes out with Ted DiBiase and a stroller with a Razor Ramon bear in the stroller, which was about the funniest thing in this match, I thought. They exchange slaps in the early doors and go to a quick start. Razor Ramon clotheslines the kid out of the ring. The kid springboards in with a clothesline and stomps Razor before going to his classic corner kicks, followed by the spin, ki- spin kick. And much earlier than I recall, the crutch chop. Yes. Didn't, don't recall seeing that back in the new generation era, but it definitely happened. Razor fights back with a huge beal out of the corner, clothesline in the corner, and the good old SOS slam. We throw, we see, then see Ted DiBiase throws in some talc into Razor's eyes right in front of the ref, and no disqualification, so not sure what's going on there. 
The kid hits a missile drop kick for a two count, and we get a really big razor chant from the crowd, which is kind of cool, before the kid hits those classic lightning kid leg drops that I love so much, and a frog splash for a two count. This is my favorite part of any 90s pay-per-view here as he goes for this near fall. Vince McMahon's, he got him, he got him! No, no, he didn't. Yes. We're nearly the end of Vince. Being on commentary, thank God. It makes me a bit sad. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good, but he's enjoyable. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel. You think he screams in his own ear? I can't only imagine what it's like working as a commentator in the WWE now. Oh, it would suck. Yes. It's hard to concentrate on what's going on in the ring when you have an app, a mobile device, something trending, and a big Mountain Dew to serve up all at once. Exactly. It's like trying to watch a film while, you, while you're on the rafter and you want a day is. I got some good marriage advice during the break as well. My wife says to me that there's no winner and no loser in marriage. Because you're married, you're both the loser. <laughs> 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 so I thought this would be a good time to pass that knowledge on to you. <laughs> yeah. Good wife, mine. Um, we, we get a sloppy series of botches ending with the kid um, locking in a sleeper on Razor. It's pretty much the longest sleeper in history. This goes for, I don't know, 45, 50 minutes or something like that, I would say. <laughs> it takes a long time. Razor's asleep and then magically just wakes back up. He picks the kid up, crutches him on the ropes, hits his super back suplex um, off the top. It's actually blocked, though. The kid rolls through it with a crossbody, uh, gets a two count. Hits a spinning heel kick for a two count. Razor puts the kid back on the ropes for the super SOS. Hits a razor's edge. Pulls him up at two when he could have pinned him. Hits a second razor's edge for the one, two, three. Ted gets the powder, but the kid's in the nappy. Razor puts him in there. Gives him the bottle and a bit of a slap around to end this debacle. It was, considering who was involved, very, very shit. What did you think? (sighs) I don't understand. My biggest confusion is why he's lifted him up on the pin to do another razor's edge because usually when that when usually when that happens then bullshit surely follows afterwards like a roll up or whatever so that was very it was very odd I think if you took the problem is the gimmick ruins this match so if you took away all the, the baby stuff and let them just have a match it would have been a good match well not a good match it would have been alright but then you have all this like sandwiched in between which just ruins it it's just how are you supposed to like how is a character like one two three kid supposed to have any kind of career after this, after he was, uh, after he had to do this. Apparently, this was the, what, the reason that he chose to leave the WWE. Apparently, he sunk into depression after this match because of what happened. Oh, really? I never knew that. I knew I was trying to leave and was st- stuck. And so I was getting buried, Chris. I mean, wow. just buried. Scott's leaving, uh, and I do a diaper match with him. And I still do the job, and he's the one leaving, and I'm staying. <laughs> wow. That tells you what kind of heat I, I have, right? Right, right. So and I'd, we did like a 19, 20-day run of Europe, you know, and it was the last time we were all together, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I was just on a back. Like, I, I, don't, I probably slept 10 hours the whole time. Mm-hmm. It was crazy, you know? And I got back, and I, I, I got to TV. I, got, I went to TV with... Kurt and I just ate a handful of pills and thought it was a good idea to go into the production meeting afterwards. Wow. Yeah. And I fell out in the middle of production meeting and no one to, they then sent me to rehab. Really? Yeah, yeah. Right yeah. There. Yeah, man. And then uh those guys did the curtain call curtain call while I was in rehab. That's why oh. I wasn't in Ah, on that. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the painkiller addiction had a lot more to do with it, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It turned 
Fair enough. It's very odd. Yeah, fair enough. I, yeah. It could have been good. It wasn't good. It, it is what it is. Yeah. So from there, we go to a bit of a blast from the past, really. Ray Rougeau with Sonny on the superstar line. That's quite the odd combination right there. From there, we go to the next matchup, which is Triple H up against Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. So another dreg of the new generation era being brought up here. Yeah. It's um, a rematch from the Royal Rumble free-for-all <laughs> as well. And we get a shit Duke promo um, with Todd. I always go to say Todd Grisham. It's definitely not Todd Grisham. It's Todd, Todd Bettengill. <laughs> They're just interchangeable Todds, aren't they, really? <laughs> yeah. None of them will ever be as good as Sean Mooney. No man has been able to withstand the incredible strength of Crush as he continues Mooney, to... Mooney, 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 why do you Heenan. waste your time doing the events then? You don't do a good job. No. As we see footage of the Triple H beatdown and haircut of Duke Dumpster Drozzy, who I actually thought, much like Jeff Jarrett when X-Pac cut his hair, as I heard all about once again on the Raw Attitude podcast this week, I thought Duke looked a lot better after his do. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I've never, I've never really been up on Duke the Drums to Drosy matches, and obviously we go into this match, and first thing, Triple H was in it, Duke carried most of the match, which was a pleasant surprise, and then you think, like, when he has his hair cut, it would be a change, or he'd get rid of the dumpster, but alas, he didn't. You're not up with Duke the Dumpster Drosy matches. No. (laughs) Call yourself a wrestling fan. Oh, man. We got a bit of a slugfest early on, and then a beal by the hair of Triple H, and then Duke comes out with the line, come on, sissy pants, so some really fiery stuff here. Um, Hits a big press slam, followed by a big boot and a temp punch, before Triple H grabs a hold of his legs and drops him face first onto the turnbuckle. Duke comes back with an inverted atomic drop and a clothesline, and Triple H backdrops him over the top rope, but gets whipped into the steps. Comes back with some European uppercuts, a knee drop for a two count, his classic high knee for a two count, a vertical suplex for a two count, before they hit each other with a double clothesline. Duke then hits a spine buster and a backdrop, a power slam, and a tilt-a-whirl slam, which we're told is called the trash compactor. Gets a hold of the, the trash can, the referee takes it off him, Triple H hits him with the lid of the trash can, uh, it pretty much bounces off of Duke the Dumpster Drozzy's head onto Mike Kyoto, who has to pretend that he doesn't see it, so Triple H can pick up the win, the three count here in an absolute dud. Well, yeah, it was garbage wrestling. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's, um, it just, I, was, like, I watched it, and when he hit the move, hit the trash compactor, and then didn't pin him, I was just like, I did, I did an, uh, an audible laugh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> It was ridiculous. February 96, it's the the um, month for not going for pins off your finisher by the looks of it. That's the third one on the two shows now. One Man Gang, Razor, and now Duke. <sighs> ridiculous. Mm. From there, we go to Todd shilling us some shirts before we get a hype video for the British Bulldog and Yokozuna. And Yokozuna cuts a promo in full English against Jim Cornette and Camp Cornette. So, change of pace. Yoko is a baby face. He now speaks perfect English. Say here in the World Wrestling Federation that it happened. Well, that statement could never be truer than right now. For almost three years, James E. Cornette forbid Yokozuna to speak for himself. Well, right here and right now for the first time ever, the 650-pound mammoth Yokozuna has something to say. Jim Cornette, for nearly three years, I stood in the shadows while you hot dog that spotlight 
Well, it's my turn! Because I gave you the gold, and yet you get all the credit and all the money! And as far as you owe it on, the only gold you wore is when you hid behind me! Me! And British Bulldog, brother, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because this 650 pounds of bad attitude is gonna burn Ken Cornette down to the ground! And couldn't sound any more Samoan. <laughs> he didn't sound that. Japanese at all, did he? No. Oh my god. I always hate this where they have like where someone has someone talking for them because they can't talk, and then eventually they do talk, and they like they, they speak better English than the person who was originally talking for them. What would you think? What would you consider worse, this Kane or Kofi Kingston? Hey guys, guys, come on, guys, guys, come on. Hey, this is exactly what SmackDown wants, right? The only way we could possibly lose is if we waste time arguing and fighting with each other, okay? We've got to come together and get on the same page because if we don't, it's going to be bad news for all of us, all right? I mean, any questions? Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. I got a question. Matter of fact, I got a problem. Aren't you supposed to be Jamaican? What happened to your accent? Are you a Jamaican? What? You, you know what? Wait. Look, Kofi's right. <laughs> oh, what that bit when, when Kofi came in speaking normal and Triple H was like, hey, you're not speaking African. And they're all like, oh, well. Yeah, Triple H's the only guy that was ever allowed to pull that shit. I mean, between that... Him and Sean sending the Spirit Squad back to Ohio Valley Wrestling and the um, Chris Masters comment about his, his um, shrinking physique. I, yeah. I just don't understand why Kyle likes him so much. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he's listening to this, one more cheap shot at him. <laughs> no Duncan here to defend him. But no, I, this was uh, not good as well. Yoko, his promo, just he's not suited to be a baby face. You can't have a 600-pound baby face. I... Oh, no. Not certainly not this early into his tenure. I mean, if you think about it, what was it Survivor Series '92 was his debut? So yeah. only sort of really three, you know, '94, uh, '95, not even three full years in. It's too soon for a giant to be a babyface. He's got to have sort of tenure before you get there. I think. Yes. But we go to the next matchup, which is the British Bulldog up against Yoko Zuna. And we open up. Yoko hits a backdrop and a couple of clotheslines and a slam before missing an elbow, allowing the Bulldog to get into control. He hits three clotheslines to finally knock Yoko off his feet. And then Jim Cornette gets a cheap shot on Yoko as well, who fires back with a clothesline. Jim Cornette saves British Bulldog from a bonsai drop. Yoko misses a charge in the corner and hits a post. We get three top row back sandals by the Bulldog for a two count. A really huge kick out there as well on the pin. He tries again. Yoko nails him with a Samoan drop. Belly to belly suplex. Jim Cornette comes in and hits Yoko. And then Vader comes down to make the save for Jim Cornette. It's a 2v1 against Yoko. Vader starts cuffing him in the corner and beating on him as officials galore come in to try and break it up. Including, did you catch the most famous face amongst the officials there? No. It was none other than George the Animal Steel. Oh, God. Yeah, it was a bit of a blast from the past. We then get 
Cornette smashes the uh, smashes Yoko with his um, racket to end the segment here. Big drag. It didn't really last very long, did it? Um, I don't know if, if they actually announced a result to the match either. No, it would have been a DQ for the tennis racket, I would imagine. But yeah, it was what it was. It was all right. Just the end when they were beating him up with Vader and everyone, it just seemed to last forever. Vader beating on Yokozuna does a lot to establish him as a monster here, though, doesn't it? Like Vader does look like someone you don't want to fuck with. No. <laughs> we go from there to um, Goldust and Marlena with the AOL gang uh, backstage with the computers. So I don't know if you've heard, but they've got the internet on computers now. Oh, they have the internet on computers now. <laughs> yes, at the start of the, um, uh, well, in the, I think it was in the free-for-all or whatever, uh, like they said that um, if you sent your cable bill, you got a 10-hour trial period on AOL. Which would have been enough in those days to load about four web pages. Yeah, and then ironically, um, when the worst thing that Vince McMahon could ever do was get wrestling fans online, as that's where we now live. Yes, and they've spent the you know the rest of the days trying to talk us out of it. Was it who was it this week? Was it Al Snow saying that you shouldn't read about any of it on the internet if you want to enjoy yes. it? Like, fuck's sake, Al Snow, you did tough enough. You did a TV show showing everybody how wrestling works. You can't tell them not to want to know that, you dickhead. Uh, I can't speak ill of Al Snow. My, my friend Ben, who I go to wrestling with, he's the biggest Al Snow fan. Oh, really? He, he proceeded to talk to Duncan at Progress for a good 10 minutes about why Al Snow is the best wrestler in the world. He's, 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 um, he's Kyle's Triple H. <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna to have to stick up for Kyle here and say at least Triple H has, <laughs> did, has done some decent stuff. Fuck, what did Al Snow ever do? Oh, what? Al Snow, European champion. <laughs> Head cheese. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh my god. Al Snow, European champion was good. He really came out as a different gimmick. Yeah. When he came out as a Maybe. <laughs> I I actually didn't mind him in the uh, in the Job Squad. Funnily enough. Him and Hardcore Holly and, nah. and Scorpio and whatnot. That was that was a good period for him. Getting yeah. pinned under the um under the fence after being in the Mississippi River is a highlight. Yes, when he got yeah when he got pinned standing yeah. up. <laughs> so from there we go into an inset HBK promo um, while he's dancing on the top of the In Your House set, and we go to our grudge match of Owen Hart up against Shawn Michaels. Vince is in complete orgasm mode. He actually breaks out. Whoa. Baby, during Sean's entrance. What is that? Classic Vince. Sean fears and security. That's what my main title of this yeah, is. Yeah, absolutely. Story of the match here. We get a bit of a um, slugfest to start off, and Owen Hart gets tossed out of the ring, allowing Sean to dance a bit more um, as he starts to get undressed out of his entrance gear. So it's always good to see a serious grudge match start with a strip tease. <laughs> We then do get a proper start to the match, and uh, Sean slides out after the first lockup to high five people in the crowd, including Vince McMahon. So the, this is this was the match of both shows I was really looking forward to, and early doors are just fucking around and not even having a match. It's house show bullshit here. Mm. What about we had the hair pull bit? Um, Owen Jim Cornette complained that he's pulling his hair, and then while the referee's arguing with Cornette, Sean pulls out his yeah, hair. more classic house show fodder. Yeah. Sean on the outside of the ring kisses an old woman in the front row, so that's good as well. Owen then slides out to do the same thing that Sean did after the second exchange, goes to high-five the crowd, and no one will high-five him. So that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> so 
Classic Owen. When we do get properly going, Sean hits a nice crossbody off the top, a top rope axe handle for a two count, and walks over the back of Owen Hart, and then goes to about his fourth headlock of the first three minutes of the match. Yeah. Um, here's where he works it a bit and pulls the hair, as you talked about, uh, behind the referee's back. Double kip up from Sean and Owen at the same time, which was quite cool. Sean hits a hurricane rana, followed by some mounted punches. Owen hits a really nice looking overhead belly to belly suplex. And my notes just say, wow, that was a thing of beauty. Um, we get a back breaker and a neck breaker, followed by a camel clutch, followed by a knee lift before Owen begins to work a headlock of his own. We get a spin kick, and that sends Sean out to the floor. On the outside, Sean hits Owen with a suplex on the floor, and then Owen power slams Sean off the apron, which was really cool. And back in the ring, hits a missile drop kick for a two count, a big clothesline, a slam, and then blow like Owen like sort of blows his nose on Sean, which was quite disgusting. Sean gets a roll up for a two count. Owen gets an enziguri, sending Sean to the outside, drags him back in, and gets a two count off of that. Before Sean fires back, we get an inverted atomic drop, his forearm, some punches, a slam, a lovely top rope elbow, and then sweet chin music for a three count, going through his entire arsenal of offense to finish the match off in pretty short order. Um, this was okay, but it wasn't anywhere near what it should have been. What did you think? No, it's the, obviously it's the best match. It's the best match out of the two shows, arguably, because it's Owen and Sean. So I think, I don't think, I think it, it, wasn't, it was pretty good, to be fair. Um... A lot of of modern day wrestling starting off in this, like reversal of finishes and reverse, 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 then don't reverse, and we see that all the time now. But we see eight finishes in one match now. But it did what it did. I mean, and the Enziguri's came into storyline. It's just it's just a bit annoying that it was built on the Enziguri, and then at one point Owen Owen did an Enziguri cold cocked him, knocked him out, fell out of the ring. And then Owen got picked up and put him back in. Like, well, sure, if he's out, just leave him. Like, Owen would be the kind of person just to sit there and, like, I'll take the, I'll take the, I'll take the tank out and I've won. Well, I mean, don't forget as well that the stipulation coming in from the last Raw is that if that happens, Owen gets the title shot at WrestleMania. Yeah. So. It's a shame. I think, like, with, the, with this match, I mean, it would have it would have done... Obviously, Sean was always going to win. But for me, the other way round, if Owen... Without, take the stipulation away, you don't put that on, just have it as a one-versus-one grudge match. And like with the Insiguri, then like if an Owen going over would have been, it would have made that move up and make it would have done wonders for the Insiguri, and it would have made Sean look better going into the WrestleMania. But ready-made challenger for afterwards just, as well. Oh yeah. I think the problem I've got with this match is that everything they wanted to do is fine in isolation, but as a combination, it didn't work. Like, they can have the slow house show kind of start if they've got 30 minutes to work towards. They can have the, you yeah. know the Enziguri spot not finish him off if there's some drama behind it because there's more of the match to come and a fight back. But having the, the slow yeah. start in a short match, the Enziguri immediately be followed up by all Sean's arsenal for the finish. It's just, it was too compact for what they wanted to do. Yeah. After the match, of course, Sean sells the seriousness of it all, bringing a young girl out the crowd to have a bit of a dance. Um, she's got a Sean T and some sunglasses on. So fireworks naturally go off to celebrate this occasion while Vince McMahon stands up and shoots his load, just not even trying to hide it. Oh, yeah! Like Vince, this is one of your wrestlers dancing with a preteen girl. Like You probably need to calm down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, That's sad, isn't it? Yep. From there, Todd brings out um, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Roddy there Piper. you go. Who cuts a pretty decent promo here. The one and only Rowdy Roddy 
Fisher, Karate One, and he turned the WWF upside down as a plate. What kind of president dresses with us like that? A great one. What? They won't let him talk. <laughs> Thank goodness. Listen to this. I appreciate it, but I have some very important stuff I want to tell you. I want, I want you to listen up here. I take my job as a WWF president extremely seriously. I can't be bought. I don't pull no punches. I don't think Michael Jackson's innocent, and I ain't afraid of no damn booger man. Some of the highlights for me saying Michael Jackson's not innocent. Oh, I'm sorry to say that. That has to be a winner in the main event, in the WrestleMania match. Yeah. And he calls Vader inbred. Yeah, because you would, yeah, wouldn't you? That's a smart move. And he, he calls Gorilla Monsoon stupid for some reason. This is the injured Gorilla Monsoon that's brought him in to be acting president because they're such good friends. Yeah. So that's a bit of a weird one. <laughs> and he talks about Yoko versus Vader at WrestleMania, which brings out Jim Cornette and Clarence Mason. Cornette cuts an absolutely awesome promo on Piper, but he has to get the last word in and rebuff back. And that pretty much ends the segment without really much advancing other than a bit of a... Bit of a row and a riff course between Cornette and Piper. I can never say, no, I never, never Rowdy Roddy Piper. I always think of the Simpsons, Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> every time. Uh, every time. That's brilliant. <laughs> Simpsons and wrestling just go together Thank so you. well, except for on PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> thank god we never got that yeah, crazy event yeah thank god but that brings us to our main event of the evening it is Brett the Hitman Hart defending his World Wrestling Federation title up against Diesel inside the steel cage so cages galore on, in February as well this is the third cage match and in my opinion probably going to be the best one coming into the shows yeah. Diesel attacks early on um, in the in the match, but Brett does fight back pretty early and goes to take control of the knee of Diesel. Diesel fires back with knees in the corner. His slow pace, high impact offense, moving around the corners with elbows and knees. Brett goes after the knee some more, throws Diesel at the cage and tries to climb, but Diesel catches him and then puts him in some more knees in the corner. We then get a run into the cage a couple of times. We get a bit of a walk to the door, but Brett Hart stops him brett gets crotched on the top rope diesel pounds away a little bit brett crawls towards the door and diesel catches him brett works over the leg some more hits a clothesline before diesel comes back with a side slam we get a bit of a diesel chant here as well so he was still quite over despite a lot of the heel tendencies going on recently yes he misses an, an elbow uh brett goes back on the leg diesel beals brett off the top rope which was pretty cool uh, brett hits a bulldog off the second rope which was also a nice spot Brett um, hits a, uh, sorry, Diesel hits a back suplex. Brett hits a Russian leg whip. We get a second rope elbow from Brett, and Diesel hits a huge whip to the buckles. Brett takes that throw to the corner better than anyone in the business for my money. When he get, when he, sorry, when he takes that whip into the corner, Lawler with a brilliant line saying, "You bet that whip knocks Stu and Helen right off the couch at home." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh. Lawler on Stu and Helen Hart's one of my favorite feuds. Yes. Um, Diesel goes into beatdown mode, taking control for a little while. Brett goes to get over the cage, but Di- uh, does actually get over the cage, but Diesel grabs him by the hair, bringing him back in. Diesel goes back to a bit more of a long beatdown spot. Brett uses the cage and an eye poke to escape, um, but gets hit with a side slam. Brett comes back with a Russian leg sweep and a top rope elbow, not a second rope since he's got the cage to lean against. 
Diesel hits Brett with a low blow, and as he's about to escape, The Undertaker appears from underneath the ring, coming through the canvas, and drags Diesel under the ring with a big puff of smoke as Brett climbs out and smoke bellows from the hole. Diesel comes back out a little while after Brett's gone out of the cage, legs it out over the top of the cage, and runs as Undertaker comes out from the ring and poses in the cage while Diesel sells shock in the aisle, leading to their big money match at WrestleMania 12. What did you think about the cage match and the post-match angle? Uh, well, it was all about the angle. The match was, wasn't very good at all, to be perfectly honest. Um, standard WWF cage, punch, punch, move, try to escape, other person stops. So on and so forth. But like the ending was very well. It was it. It was, a, it was an inventive ending. Obviously, this, this is the first time it's been copied numerous times since. But it um, it was certainly different. I always wondered what, what was the point of pulling him under the ring. What can you do underneath the ring? There's not a lot of space under there. That's there probably a good thing that I don't have the camera under there, isn't it? Yeah, just pull him down and then just like give him a monkey scrub and then be <laughs> going back up. This was the um, like reading. Ran and stuff. This is the match. Um, this match was the reason that Kevin Double Diesel chose to leave the WWE. Then we went to Louisville, and I had it was in your house, and I had Brett in a cage. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to power bomb Brett, turn, and then when I went to turn, have t- that's when Taker was going to come up through the bottom of the. Uh, ring and grab me and put right. me down to the depths of hell and we did that whole angle where you know i i crawled out but after brett you know got out of the ring is when when you know so but the whole thing was is we had enough however long i would have been underneath there would have gave brett time to sell the power bomb and get out but the thing that we want the story we wanted to tell was i caused taker the title he caused me the title and now we were going to Mania against each other in, in, in the co-main event with with Sean versus Brett as the as the other as the other top match, and it was it was one of those deals where we were setting up our shit, and Brett went in and lobby, Brett went in and lobby, Brett went in and lobby, and finally Vince came to me with about. 15, 20 minutes for the first match. He said, "Ah, he says you don't need that power bomb. We can still." tell the same story I said no we can't it's not the same story and I said you know what you know fuck it fine I walked right over to Scott he was sitting over in the corner I walked over to him I said I'm gone because he was due to he was gonna his contract was up with Razors Scott and Razors already going uh Diesel was gonna stay but then before this match when they were going through it they he asked Brett to do a power bomb to power bomb Brett before the Undertaker came up so it made him look better. Well, Brett wouldn't do it. Brett wouldn't take the part because he made him look shit. So he was like, he was saying like, what, what, um, what do I get out of it, kind of thing. And then, then like Diesel like literally walked out the door, all angry, and just said like, that was it. He told 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 Scott that he was on his way. In, in fairness, in fairness, yeah. for, just to play devil's advocate, in the last two big title matches, Brett's been laid out by a power bomb and a tombstone, and never got any heat back on Taker or Diesel. Not wanting to go for it a third time is probably not the biggest heel movie could make. No, well, that the is click. the click. That was the click. That was, yeah. It wasn't a good night. Really. No, not the best of nights. Oh. No. So, overall thoughts on the pay per view? 
Um, apart from, for like I said, I like the show and over match. So if it's worth watching just for that match, the rest of it you can fast forward through. Um, it was as the as the last stop before WrestleMania. It was uh, it didn't really do a lot to push WrestleMania. Really, you had no no Brett Sean interaction again. Um, it was more the show was like like Royal Rumble. This was more geared towards the Diesel. Undertaker match rather than the, the Brett Sean one. It was more focused on that, more storyline for that. It was, it's weird. It's like what they do these days when the pay per view, the these days of the pay per view before WrestleMania, and then they'll take like the main title off one or both the people and put them on somebody else ready for WrestleMania kind of thing. It was a bit like, well, what what's, what what was the point? Like you've got Brett and Sean, you're not you're not doing anything, like interaction wise. You just like say focusing on Undertaker Diesel. It's very. This was very much an in-your-house pay-per-view before they became sort of monthly pay-per-views and, you know, just sort of like everything else. This was... The the early in-your-house shows were all very hit and miss. They were two hours, they were a bit shorter, but they generally would give you one decent match and a lot of filler, but they were a cheaper price and, you know, a stopgap pay-per-view. So you got a lot of matches on there that didn't really, you know, weren't long-term stories or weren't anything that really held the crowd's interest because they would leave certain guys off these shows at the start not put everyone on um very much a product yeah. of its time yeah we suppose obviously people are going to be like cry baby match so people will probably drop on to watch that <laughs> yeah if you're, if you're a fan of Shawn michaels dancing of um ridiculous gimmicks or of slow plotting cage matches this is a show for you if not eh, it's probably best just come along to wrestlemania with us instead yes but to be fair, not like 96, 96 Shawn Michaels is, was probably where he started to hit his stride of being the man. He had good matches over and over again. So, and this is pretty much the start. Yeah, absolutely. But then, I mean, I could wrestle with a broom and it would be entertaining. So, definitely. Miss you, Owen. Oh, 100%. So, should we go in and, and pick ourselves some winners then in these categories? Yes. All right, well, let's get started with production value. This is probably the one I've got the, the fuzziest memories on because it's a little while back, so the nuances of the shows aren't really sticking with me. The only thing that really stuck out to me is WCW's show seemed to be poorly formatted. I mean, not we talked about the two title matches not making much sense, but just how often people were brought back in. Like, we had, for me, too many Mean Gene interviews, and to have Jimmy Hart, involved in an angle then involved in the next promo backstage like it just it didn't flow as well as it could have done for me the wwf pay-per-view was very much you know standard fare but they've you know the the better video packages the better production they're going to take this one from me what did you think same i mean it's, it's all they rely the wcw format of match mean gene matched kind of thing i mean it's that's pretty much what they do um Okay, but we're like with apart from the WWF, at least they they're starting to do different things like the video packages and things like that, just to recaps and whatnot. The best you get in WCW is they, they occasionally tell you what's going on, kind of thing. You don't actually get to see it. Occasionally so. being the right word. <laughs> yes. What about crowd heat? Who did you go with on this one? Uh, I think they were both pretty equal. To be fair, um, like the WCW fans went from booing Hogan to then like. Treating him like God in, the, in that main event, which is a bit, which is a bit two-faced of them. Um, I'd probably say the WWE one was more consistent throughout. They seem to like, they seem to love, seem to be happy all the way through. 
much. <laughs> Would say the um the, the thing the weird thing was the amount of love Diesel got from the WWF and yeah, you're right about the top the sort of turning backwards and forwards on Hogan. Um I've got a tie on this one. I couldn't pick myself a winner here. They were both fairly loud for the amount of numbers that were in the buildings. Uh, I think Louisville was just happy that someone came to visit. <laughs> no offence to Jim Cornette. <laughs> what about storylines? Who did you go with there? Well, storylines would have to be... Well, the, you've got the WWE... Uh, I hate it. I, I, when I do this bit, I always, I always think one thing and then other things pop in my brain. I'll probably go for a tie, to be honest. I was thinking oh, WWE didn't do much storylines, but then we did. They had the crybaby match. They, they had the haircut and everything had a reason for... A match, do you know what I mean? To the on on the WWE one, and then the same for like WCW. So I'd say I'll put it equal to be okay. honest. I um would probably be pretty close to the same on that because you know it's funny you said that because I was thinking as we went in here I'd probably go the WWF because they they've sort of built the big the second match for Mania pretty well in Diesel and Taker. Um, you know we've got the advancement of Jim Cornette. Feud and Vader feuding with the office, Vader and Yoko, uh, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, the culmination of Triple H and Duke Drozzi, as you said. But then I thought, oh, WCW, you know, they did have the Liz Heel turn, which was a big story. Um, they advanced to shit as it is. And ha- yeah, okay. Pillman, as much as I hate it, Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom got another chapter unfold. Um, they're building up, you know, two contenders for the tag titles, which is more than what the WWF can say. So yeah, I think a tie is pretty, pretty fair there. Yeah. What about characters? Who do you think, who do you feel featured the bigger and brighter characters on the night? Tough one. I'd probably go, I'd say WCW had, even though WWF had Diesel, Brett, Sean, Owen, after that, it wasn't really anything. I mean, WCW had, they rolled out all the big guns. Sting alluded twice. So, um, then we had the, the biggest character of that period in, Brian Pillman, so I'd say WCW slightly edged it. It could easily be a tie, but I'd say WCW had more of the characters. I think I'd go with you on that one. There seemed to be more star quality across the show. I mean, WCW didn't have to put Duke Dumpster Drozzy on pay-per-view, so for that reason alone, they could probably pick up the win. Yeah. I mean, we never, by the way, we never got the Jake to Tanker match that was on the dot. Was on the that's a, that's the a big loss. I'm not sure what I upset more about the debut of Loch Ness or missing out on Jake to Tanker. Fat, fat preacher. Oh, no, the best well. kind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tongue-in-cheek there well and truly don't send me hate mail i'll do send me hate mail i don't care i'll just ignore it (laughs) match quality is going to be the final category then and this one's probably going to determine the winner for the the night here who did you feel had the best match quality on the night uh i I would say hands down i'd go with wwe uh the drosy triple h right wasn't that bad to be fair um Take out, like I said, take out the gimmick side of the Crybaby match. It was a standard Diesel uh, Razor one two three kid match. Owen Sean was good. Do you know what I mean? So take out the other two bits. I didn't like. I, said, I didn't particularly like the cage match. I didn't like, and the, I can't really class the Yoko Bulldog as a match. It had it was good until it had the ending. Then the other end we had Public Enemy versus the Nasties. Awful. Conan versus fucking, oh my God. <laughs> it was equally terrible. The tag matches weren't anything special. It's just, it's infuriating when, when the, like, even though, like, 96 roster that 
I think I, I think I'm going to have to agree with you there. Um, match quality on the WWF wasn't anything to write home about, but it was all passable wrestling. Whereas the WCW stuff, that Hogan Giant match was a bit shit. Um, the Pilmer match didn't happen, as we talked about. The two tag matches were okay. The tag brawl to start wasn't great, and you're right, one man gang and. Um, Conan was complete shit. Now, it might have been saved had he been Akeem, but he wasn't Akeem, so it was shit. Yes. He's crying out for a chance. <laughs> but that, that means, basically, WWF had the better of the two shows here. I mean, it's marginal and probably sounds a little bit, you know, more tilted that way than what it really is because neither show was great. Neither of them had a really great match. They each had a decent match. So, I mean... It was what it was. February 96 is probably not a time period that most people will want to go back and revisit in a hurry. But we are now on the road to WrestleMania, so more exciting times to come. Yeah, the, the storming block as well is, is the fact that like, the Super Brawl was like one of their, it's WCW's like a main pay-per-view for it. It's not like it was a clash. It was yeah. a Super Brawl. And in your house, was just it's two hours of tied me over kind of thing. And that's what it was. Whereas Super Brawl, like I, I got... I was sure that I was watching the Clash of the Champions because of the kind of the kind of show that it was. And when you went to that, no, actually, this is one of their big, like, not their big pay-per-views, but one of their main pay-per-views. It was like, oh, right, okay. Like I say, no cruiserweights, nothing, barely, barely yeah, anything. it was a bit of a lackluster affair all round. This has certainly not been the two most exciting pay-per-views I've watched even doing this podcast, so... It was what it was, but I think um, this was a necessary stop before we get to some of the really good stuff here. And what will probably be one of the more controversial debates about a match on the show when we get to WrestleMania and talk about the Iron Man match. Yes, it'll be very interesting. Which we have to have a bit of a think about here and obviously welcome any input from anyone out there. I probably don't want to run through an hour's worth of Brett and Sean move for move, so we might break it up into parts or even if anyone wants to contribute their memories of the match and insert them in between might be the way to go for that one. Hey, just to break up the monotony of it all. Yeah. We'll have a quiz, uh, poetry <laughs> corner, all of that. Well, that one's what I'm not going to do well. is what I attempted to do last show with Richie and put in a classic random promo that he couldn't hear. So completely fucked the whole segment up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there just going, no, it'll work. It'll work. It'll work. Ah, fuck it. We're too deep. Let's just abort mission. <laughs> So <laughs> that'll do it for these two shows. So we've, um, we've, we've finally done it. We've been trying to get together and unsuccessfully for about a month now with scheduling conflicts and whatnot. We've both had a lot going on. So thank you once again for coming back and joining us. Obviously, all the best of luck for tomorrow. And, you know, maybe a bit of uh, Alanis Morissette this evening to see if we can get rid of the rain on your wedding day would not be the worst idea. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully it all goes well. Thank you. Yeah, should do. Um, um, by, by the time the rest of you hear this, you'll well and truly be married. So, you know, you'll be cu- coming coming back and telling yeah, us all I'll, about it. Yes, I'll probably be honeymooning in Cornwall as we have a child who's one. Yeah, we, um, we took ours with us. So it was more of a holiday than a than a honeymoon. But it, it was a good excuse to get away. Yeah, so we're, well, obviously we're, we've decided on our first, our first anniversary when the kids are older we can leave them with them we go away and that'll be our proper honeymoon well worth waiting for so yes. anything um, else in your life coming up other than the wedding or is it sim- simply focused on that uh, I've got 
I'm going to Progress in Birmingham um, in a couple of weeks, which I'm looking forward to. Um, apart from that, that's about it, really. I mean, the problem like, I usually I usually go wrestling on Friday, like go and check out my other half isn't recently got a new job where she works Friday evening, so it's somewhat scuppered my visual my go to wrestling shows, which is a bit of a bugger, but. Uh, you'll have to stay in and get your uh, WrestleMania notes up to date then. By the time I do the next four Raw and Nitros, we're going to be heading there. Yes. And uh, On this side of the fence, next up will either be one of the Raw and Nitro shows or the next Raw uh, up against Impact show Duncan and I are going to do. And then I've got another WrestleMania to get through there. So some good stuff coming. Um, Richie and I will be back with another 80s flashback very, very soon. And other than that, just... Looking forward to catching back up on the show. We've had a lot of stuff on the last month or so and not got out as much as we'd like. So many, many more to come in quick fire, hopefully very, very soon. So thanks everyone for listening. As always, follow us on Twitter, um, on Facebook, on Instagram, and do leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you are so inclined. Um, any final words, Carl, before we head off into the sunset? Uh, no, it's- I hope you all enjoyed this one. Um, I am LoveGun13 on Twitter, L-U-V-G-U-M-M. Again, because I made my Twitter account when I was a <laughs> child, obviously, and gave myself a horrible Twitter name. But, yeah, I need to get my Twitter game up. My Twitter game is pretty terrible, to be fair. Yeah, I've um I've been pretty slack on Twitter as of late as well, so I will be endeavour to be on there more often. And if you do have any questions for the show or anything you want to send along, please get in touch. As always, we're always looking for more people to contribute. And if you want to have your voice heard on here as well, let me know and we'll make that happen. Thank you all for listening and we'll see you all again next time.
nothing dumb to do. Hey, baby, I think I want to marry you. Is it the look in your eyes? Or is it this dancing juice? Who cares, baby? I think I 